0: Here's the thing about food that is a hard truth that no one wants to acknowledge. When you are eating something, you are either moving yourself towards health or you are moving yourself towards disease. There is no neutral, right? Everything that goes into your body is either helping you or hurting you.
1: Welcome to Financial Sobriety, the podcast.
2: Podcast.
1: This conversation is all about money. Money not in the context of so many of the other podcasts that are out there.
2: So we're not going to talk about Roth IRAs and and whether annuities are good or bad and how I can buy the next Tesla stock? I'm afraid not. What are we going to talk about then?
1: We're going to talk about the three most complicated relationships people have in their life. Ooh, tell me more. The relationship people have with their money, how that affects the relationship they have with their people, and ultimately about the person looking back at them in the mirror and the relationship with themselves.
2: So you're saying these are all tied together, these three relationships.
1: Well, if you stick around, we'll tell you more.
2: I can't help but think back to when you and I first sat down and talked about some of the problems I was having in my life, as it related to the money problems, which led to the relationship problems, which led to me not feeling so good about the guy looking back at me at the mirror. A little
1: self-loathing. Oh,
2: a little bit. And I remember how you helped me identify these three really complicated relationships that I had. I had complicated relationships with money. I guess complicated would be a bit of an understatement. I had a train wreck of a relationship with money. That spilled over into really affecting my relationships with my people, my interpersonal relationships at home, at work, with my extended family. And by having some challenges there, it left me not feeling too good about myself. What really helped me take this first step into financial sobriety was recognizing that if we could stabilize this relationship with money piece, that would give me the space a little bit to go do the hard work of looking in the mirror and really learning how to have a relationship with myself that was different than I had had the first 33 years of my life at that point. And I feel like that's kind of how we've started this year, just having this conversation via the podcast. We started January with with getting started on the right path, some financial behaviors to think about for the new year. February we got into more specific financial issues as it related to financing, as it related to using debt because February seemed to be a big month when it came to things like auto finance. And now with March here and we're still fairly early in the year, I'd love to spend some time talking about this concept of self-care and really focusing a month's worth of our talks together here in studio on this idea of self-care and what it takes to really develop a relationship, an unconditionally loving relationship with that person in the mirror. That was the greatest gift of meeting you and starting this whole process, was being able to, for the first time in my life, go through a process that left me feeling comfortable in my own skin, to the point that I could look in the mirror at any time and feel this love for the person looking back at me. It was a really cool experience.
1: And you were able to accomplish that over like a two-day, three-day workshop weekend, and you felt great after 10, 12 hours.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. In hindsight, it feels like a two or (laughs) three-day experience. It's the marathon of a lifetime. Oh, it's been
1: coming up on 16 years. It's also the elephant in the room that generally people don't want to look at their relationship with their self, themselves,
2: Something like that. Something like that. I I get what you're saying. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah, no, I get what... And you got to look at it. I mean,
1: there's been plenty of times in my life where I haven't wanted to look at it.
2: Well, you don't have to look at it. That's what I think this is really all about, is that we don't have to look at it. We can live life completely unintentionally with our heads down, completely loathing the person... Whose skin we are occupying, boy. That's going to work out well. Yeah, that's not a good way to live.
1: I mean, there's a lot of Johnny Cash songs built around
2: that. Absolutely, but I think, like, like from you, Folsom
1: but, Prison, nonetheless.
2: That's right. He is a local. <laughs> he is a local fan favorite. <laughs> you and I have each gotten to a point in our lives where, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to call it a sense of incomprehensible demoralization. We got to a point. Can I buy a vowel? Uh huh. What, what in the world is that? Well, let me explain. It's bottom. We got to a point where I didn't want to live this way anymore. Enough's enough. What's the Popeye saying, you say?
1: Yeah, I've had all I can stands, I can't stands no more. Yes. Right.
2: That's what I mean by incomprehensible demoralization. I felt so bad about myself. Incomprehensible. Demoralization. About myself. Are you making up words, Mr. Uh, English Major? I wish I made those up, but I didn't. Decompose granite, what did you say? Exactly. I was at bottom. Right. I didn't want to be there anymore. And it was either my life is over or my life is over as I know it and I need to choose a different path. What's so
1: interesting as we do the the postmortem on that crisis that you had in 2005 is that you hit bottom with respect to your relationship with money. But it was actually something else that you had to work on in order to restore, renew, repair, rebuild the relationship with money.
2: Absolutely. It was actually the relationship with thyself. It started with the relationship with thyself. It led to healthier relationships with other people, which ultimately simplified my relationship with money. It made it less complicated. By making it less complicated, it just made it easier to live with money in my life. Do I still have fear over money? Sure. Do I still occasionally relapse into the spendthrift stuff? Sure but not very often. And I'm very aware of it when it happens. And this whole financial sobriety process has given me a way to fix those wrongs when I make them. I can own those mistakes, those financial mistakes, and then I have ways of fixing them. I didn't know how to do that before. right? But the journey of healing myself took a lot longer than the journey of healing the money. That was probably more like a 10 or 11 year into this 16 year journey before I truly felt good about the person looking back at me in the mirror. That was like 2017. So you and I met in 2005. Now, what I'm hoping, I don't wanna wanna sound like this is a hopeless thing, because I know sometimes for me to even think about what I'm having for dinner later today could be overwhelming, right? That far out in time. The idea of this journey taking 10 or 12 years can be overwhelming, it can be daunting. I tend to not succeed often when I think about things that I've got 10 or 20 years out. I mean, My
1: favorite elixir for that is, so if I do nothing about it today, right. where am I going to be in 10 or 12 years from now? Nowhere. Yeah, I'm going to be in the same decomposed pile of granite that you were talking about a minute ago.
2: This is why, I mean, it's important, and we've learned this through the conversations you and I have had with our friend Bo Eason, that it's important to think in terms of 10-year, 20-year time horizons, but what that really winds up, being comprised or made up of are, are these little, you know, staying two inches in front of your nose. What do I have to do today to move me a little further down this path? Amen. And that's what I think we talk about today. We, we've got a great guest coming on. Margaret Floyd Berry is here to talk with us today on the idea, like you've shared, where to get the boat in motion, we only need to get the anchor off the bottom an inch. We don't have to get it all the way in the boat to get the boat in motion. Yeah, it's one of my favorite misconceptions that
1: everybody has is that you've got to get it you know, all the way up into the boat in order to get the boat across
2: the lake. No, you're just trying to get it in motion. So it's one little thing on the nutrition front, one little thing on the physical fitness front, and you've already seen— And that's got me in motion. So, like, I mean, so like building a house, I mean, you're starting with a foundation, two yeah. simple things that create the foundation, yeah. and now, you know, the framing's starting to, to come up a little bit.
1: And it absolutely helps with that daunting feeling of, okay, this is a really big lake, we got to get the boat across, but you know what? Let's, we're, just, we're just starting.
2: Let's just get it in motion. Let's just get it in motion. Let's bring Margaret on, Margaret Floyd Berry. We are so excited to have her here, absolutely one of the best in the world when it comes to understanding nutrition. And this entire episode is all about self-care from a perspective of what we put in our bodies, how we treat our bodies, that whole physical component to that self-care and overall health. Here we go with Margaret Floyd Berry. One of the things, Margaret, I really wanted to get into today, and I think this would be helpful in just in the theme of what financial sobriety is all about, Yeah, this idea that we have these three fairly complicated relationships in life that are all very intertwined with one another, Mm -hmm. this relationship we have with money, the relationship we have with the people in our lives, and then this relationship we have with self, the whole theme for March for the show is all about self-care. Right. And one of the things I know I used to struggle with a ton when I was early on in this whole financial sobriety journey was this idea of trying to think my way into better behavior Mm -hmm. when it came to this idea of like physical health- eating right. better, sleeping better, getting more movement, getting more exercise, and it never worked. I would have some crazy New Year's resolution about, okay, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to find somebody like Margaret Floyd Berry who's going <laughs> to teach me how to eat better, and I just the the whole idea of thinking my way into doing something better always failed me. And it wasn't until well into this whole process that I was able to start acting my way and behaving my way into healthier thinking. Right. And so being able to talk about some of these really small, simple steps, like that first step, we're still early enough in the year where if we're trying to help people try to implement some new behaviors to start behaving their way into better thinking about how they take care of themselves and ultimately being able to look in the mirror and have that unconditional love for themselves... Mm -hmm. what are some of those small things? What are those first step things? I think being able to get into that would be really helpful.
0: One of the things that I think is one of the most important first steps, which actually doesn't have anything to do with what you eat or any of the behaviors, but it's like the big picture. And I'm sure that this comes up from a financial perspective as well, is that is really understanding why you're doing this. I'm hesitating to say your big why, but it's like this idea of like, what is it that you are moving towards or moving away from and getting really like with health? One of the things I have come to see is that there's a tipping point for people. And that tipping point is sort of, there's, there's two tipping points. The first type of tipping point is when the discomfort is too great and change has to happen because what the status quo is untenable anymore, whether that's because of some kind of physical pain or a diagnosis or something, you know, something that's scary, big, hard, you know, and it's moving away from that thing. That's often the first tipping point. And then at some point that shifts and there's another tipping point, my favorite tipping point, which is when that issue has been resolved and now we're moving towards something really cool.
1: I love that concept that you're talking about in terms of, moving away from something with then moving toward something better. And in our world as financial planners, that we do a lot of that, right? There's a pain point mm-hmm. that has brought them to come see us. Totally. They're going through some kind of a transition in life. Generally, it's not good. It's a, it's a stressor. And in this case, it's obviously money. In your case, it's food. So we've got to do triage first and then help them be able to see a couple mountaintops down the road in terms of a vision. Exactly. And that concept, I think, is a is very applicable to what we do and what you do professionally.
2: Well, and how often when that money transition is happening in their life, is there spillover into how it affects them personally with their own health? When people come in and they're going through this crazy transition and there's all sorts of confusion with money going on, I mean, we, we found that people tend to not be paying as close attention to taking care of themselves during that process. They're in this complete state of limbo. Oh and, yeah and that's it goes, why this, it goes
1: back burner yeah right I mean, the it, health the health, the nutrition, the exercise all goes it all falls off. all goes back burner and you start to have those conversations with yourself where it's where you start justifying mm-hmm. bad behavior with food, bad behavior with lack of exercise, bad behavior with staying up late and watching mindless TV shows when your body should be getting rest. I don't know anything about that. No me either.
0: There is one important reality to acknowledge is that we reward ourselves through food. Food is not just nutrients, energy, fuel. It is distraction. It is uh, in some cases it's used as punishment. It is
1: celebration.
0: It, it's celebration. It's I a deserve. social tie. It's the I deserve. You know, we do deserve to celebrate. Here's the thing about food that is a hard truth that no one wants to acknowledge. When you are eating something, you are either moving yourself towards health or you are moving yourself towards disease. There is no neutral, right? Everything that goes into your body is either helping you or hurting you. And so we like to think of, you know, like the treat and the celebration It's this beautiful, joyous affair. And yet often a lot of the things that we're doing are actually poisoning ourselves, which is kind of this weird thing that happens. Right. And so redefining that and finding ways to celebrate that actually move us even further towards our goals. You know, there's also an idea that food that's good for you is going to taste really horrible and it can't be fun. And that's, ridiculous. I mean, I, I have pretty much at this stage in my life eliminated all the things that aren't good for me. And let me tell you, I love every single meal and I'm not sitting there eating like steamed broccoli and chicken breast. Like, (laughs) I'm sorry. I I don't want to eat steamed broccoli and chicken breast. Like it tastes disgusting. Right. But it doesn't, this idea that health is something that you're choosing other than fun, these ideas, these oppositions. I mean, it's just It's not the case, and it doesn't have to work that way. So redefining how we celebrate and doing so in a way that is taking ourselves towards all of our goals and and really nourishing ourselves, because we don't really want to be poisoning ourselves.
2: What got you there? Where did that wake-up moment happen to you in your life? What got you down this path to be able to recognize that, that what goes in our body is either helping us or killing us. There's no in-between. And we can make this experience as delicious as we want it to be.
0: So I wish I could say, oh, this moment. there have been. It's been a learning process, and I'm still learning it. So I want to be really clear about that. I've been on this journey for a long time. I'm still there. I grew up in an environment where the lack of health defined almost everything. So I'm an only child. My parents were older when they had me. And they both had a lot of health issues. And it was like the reason we couldn't do things. You know, one of my memories, my most powerful memories is when I was about nine or 10 years old, my mom and I went to Dominican Republic, a mother-daughter trip. I was so excited. I'd never gone somewhere. Like to me, the Dominican Republic was the most exotic place on the planet. We get there, first meal, everything is amazing. Hours later, we're back in the hotel room and she is sick as a dog. We were there for five days. She spent four of those days in the bathroom. And this was like the kind of the story of my life, right? And I can remember sitting, it, it was one of those resorts, all inclusive. And I can remember just sitting at the like lunch table by myself. I was so shy, like desperately shy so scared, but I had to eat. <laughs> my mom was too sick to take care of me, just sitting there sort of crying into my lunch by myself, like devastated that this is what had my my like mother-daughter, amazing family trip had turned into. And that's an extreme example, but that kind of thing happened all the time. I looked at my friends and would see them go on like fancy ski trips and like, just the, the, they could live their life Right. And my life was so impacted by the fact that my parents didn't have their health. And while they didn't try to put that filter on me necessarily, it kind of came anyways, you know, anything would happen. You know, I remember driving across the country. I'm Canadian. I grew up in Ottawa. I drove from where I went to school in Halifax on the east coast all the way across the country to Vancouver with my then boyfriend as I graduated from college and I got food poisoning along the way anyone could get food poisoning that is not anything saying you know I'm not a weak person because of that but the message was oh this is too much for you you should come home you're not up to this you know so this idea of lack of health defined everything and it took me a while to realize that the food I was eating and what I was doing to myself actually was contributing to this. And that moment happened when I was in my mid-20s. The one health issue I really had struggled with at that point a lot, well, I had she had several, but a key one was I had horrible skin issues. Um, I had eczema, just like head to toe. And a friend of mine gently suggested that I address this through sort of diet and lifestyle. And I thought she was absolutely crazy, but nothing else was working. So I went to a practitioner that she had suggested and and I joked that she was going to take away all the things that I loved in my diet, which at the time was like my red wine and my pasta and my cheese and my chocolate and my coffee. Other, oh my other, God, than that, really other than that,
1: other than that, nothing right. else. Right. <laughs> Yum.
0: Right. I mean, that was what I lived on at that point. <laughs> if I, if it had only stopped there, I mean, that was like the tip of the iceberg. She took away all those things and, and a lot of other things. And I will, I will tell you, I went home and cried a little, cause I, I didn't even know how I could eat otherwise, But I learned a ton in that process about food. And I did everything she asked me to do, changed my diet completely. And within a few weeks, that eczema was gone completely and has never come back, you know, and this is 20 plus years later. And I was like, oh, wow, (laughs) what I eat has a massive impact on, I mean, my skin, which in my mind, I couldn't understand the connection of what went in my body that seemed kind of co- sort of one specific way and something as apparently unrelated as my skin. So that was, that was a key moment for me.
2: When you started that change and your friend eliminated all of the most important food groups that, <laughs> you know, we would all agree are in life. Hallelujah. Right? Chocolate, coffee, wine. I mean, that, that this is pasta. I mean, come on. Red wine. Holy cow. Cruelty to go without. What were those first couple of weeks like before you actually had that proof, that holy cow moment?
0: Hell, I mean, they were really hard. They were hard for a lot of reasons. They were hard because I didn't realize how much I was emotionally dependent on those foods. Mm. They were hard because I considered myself a foodie and suddenly I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what to cook, how to make it, anything like that. I can remember, it was the first time since, you know, I was, I was in my early twenties, but I'd learned how to drink alcohol at a very young age. And so I can remember my, my boyfriend at the time, <laughs> uh, about two months in, so this is once I had felt the benefits. He looked at me and he said, please don't take this the wrong way but I like you so much better when you drink.
2: (laughs) And I remember being like, wow.
0: So I had things to deal with, right? That's just a nice way of saying I had things underneath all of that that I needed to deal with. So it was really hard. It was like ripping off this big Band-Aid. Did I fall off the wagon? No. And that is I'm an incredibly stubborn personality where when I set my mind to something, I'm in. You know, And so especially when I set my mind to something and I've got money behind it. And for me, the amount of money that I was spending on this process was like, biggest investment I'd ever made
2: other than going to school. Well, and that's 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 actually something
1: what I want to talk about for a second is this concept that we talk a lot in our private practice with clients about, you know, the number one investment you're ever going to make is in yourself. So that very point is critical because without your health, right? I mean, you you described your childhood and, and what your parents, what their life was like. I'm on a bit of an obsession right now with young adults and trying to help them get a financial basic understanding of what's going on with money because there's no education on it. I feel as a 51-year-old person, let alone dad and husband and father and brother and son and all this, that there's also very little education on nutrition. And there's all these generalizations about— Well, it's unaffordable. Well— It's expensive. Certainly, I can't afford it. Certainly, eating healthy is expensive. Yeah. Nutrition testing, the blood tests, all that stuff is expensive. But what is so important, I think, for people to understand is that no different than the work we do with money and the work you do with food, it is very specific to the individual. So, what may work for you may not work for me, may not work for Matthew in terms of those triggers, those allergens, those things that you react to, and that it's one of the most important investments you could ever make. Because if you don't have your health, well, then what do you need the money for? Well, you could save all this money in retirement accounts, but if you're not here to enjoy it, what the heck?
2: That's what all this work is for. That's why Margaret is here today, is just to help us continue to have this dialogue about being very intentional with how we use our money. Absolutely. And and this plays so much into the idea of self-care. And, and from a very young age, Margaret, you had something in you that, although it was expensive and perhaps at times you didn't know how you would be able to afford doing this, you had your financial resources in complete alignment with something that was so So personal to you and so important to your core values, which is not living by the example of what I saw with my parents and recognizing that what I put in my body makes a difference. And I'm going to be very intentional about that, both financially and physically with what I consume.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, I think that without our health, we have nothing. Yes, it is more expensive to make healthier food choices. And another frustrating reality about this whole field is that to make the healthier choice is often less convenient, more expensive, more difficult, more socially isolating, fill in the blanks, right? Like it's just harder, you know, and yet there is, in my opinion, no better way to spend your money. Because let me tell you, I watched my mother the medical bill, and this is in Canada where health is covered, like the 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 cost of keeping her alive for as long and the quality of life was awful. You know, I mean that I told you a story from when I was, you know, just a kid. But by the time I was in my teens, you know, she'd had so many different diagnoses between cancer and pulmonary fibrosis and multiple autoimmune mm. diseases. And it was just Oh my. it was two steps forward, 10 steps back, one step forward, five steps back. I mean, it was just, it consumed her entire life. And she was an incredible concert pianist. She was writing a book. She had so many things she was doing and, and my goodness, I mean, I inherited the stubbornness from her. I mean, she would just persist, you know, but I think, oh my God, what she could have done in this world if she hadn't had to fuss about her health because that took up probably 70 to 80 of her mental, 80% of her mental capacity. Wow. That's what she thought about. And so if you, and I, and I'm very blessed in many ways that I I got to see that because for me, it's a non-negotiable.
2: Yeah. Well there's yeah. gr- there's gratitude there there's gratitude that we can have in mm-hmm. seeing the examples of what we don't want. Okay. I mean some some of those some of those opportunities to see people living their lives in ways that boy that that scares the heck out of me. I mean there's a lot of gratitude in knowing what we don't want to be able to know what we want.
1: Oh ab- absolutely and that for your mom her health if not her nutrition was her epic blind spot, right? It was I mean just imagine knowing what you know today about nutrition and what that would have been able to do for your mom's health let alone you know the example that you gave on on eczema and i think that's one of the things that i'm so fascinated about with my own journey with nutrition and health and all of that is connecting those dots mm-hmm. and the realization at least for me on how absolutely toxic gluten is for my body starches gluten I love gluten. Oh,
2: gluten is delicious. I don't even know
1: what gluten is, but (laughs) But, I like it. It
2: is delicious.
1: right? But my my body just absolutely reacts viscerally. Thank you. Viciously, too. Viciously, visceral. I'm making a new word. I know for me, I've got to have some of those experiences to be able to connect the dots, right, and to see it and then ultimately feel it. I, I would have to imagine for a lot of the clients that you work with, you can see things for them right you're their blind spotter because you know full well as they go through your process as they have a better data to know what's specific to them you can see a couple of mountain ranges down the road of what's possible for them how do you help if they don't have your determined as you said stubborn personality how do you keep them on track
0: it's a great question i first off feel like my mission in this world is to help people feel better than they even knew possible. I feel like people's standards are so low and I actually love it when people come first come to me and I do that first conversation and I'm like, you know, someone's like, well, I want to manage my headaches or I want to like the word manage. I hear that word and I'm like, great. And I have way bigger plans for you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to manage anything. I want you to get to the place where this, I mean, this work is going to be hard. I'm always very straight up. And I, you know, I kind of give them the spiel of, I'm going to ask you to let go of some things that you love. I'm going to ask you to eat some things that you've never tried before. I'm going to get you to do some hard things. And this is about behavior change, and behavior change is the most, most difficult thing that we can do. And I will explain to them that the, the hardest part is ironically the time when they feel well. Because what's going to happen is when, so my clients tend to come to me when they're really sick and they're really miserable and they're desperate. So they're ready, like they're they're gonna do whatever I ask them to do.
2: They have but
1: a willingness. Will a, they're well, willing they at that point. They have the willingness. Their backs up against the wall. Yeah.
0: Completely. And there's gonna come a moment though, faster than they think, where they feel well and they suddenly are like, why am I eating this way again? <laughs> like, why am I taking this fistful <laughs> of supplements? I feel fine. And it's it's kind of that's amazing. That's this guy how, right here. Well, there you go. It's amazing how fast our memory just erases discomfort. I mean, honestly, I having now had two children, I feel like that's the reason why we actually have more than one child is because you forget the pain of childbirth. <laughs> but it's the same of everything any kind of physical discomfort like once you have overcome it i also run marathons and every after every marathon there's sort of like that hour where i'm like that was pure hell what was i thinking i'm never doing that again and within a few like sometimes it's not even like the next day like within a few hours i'm already like got the calendar out and i'm thinking of which is the next one so we have really good probably for survival reasons ability to forget that kind of pain and discomfort but that's actually ironically the most challenging moment so I always spend a lot of time with my clients getting really clear on what I call their North Star, which is understanding like, yes, they're coming to me because they don't want the digestive pain or they want to lose the weight or they want to be able to you know, fill in the blank. They want to resolve the health issue. But I want to go deeper than that. I want to know not just, okay, so we get rid of you know, the horrible digestive issues. What's that going to change for you? Like, what are you going to be able to do That you're not needing to do now or what are you not going to have to do like my mom's life was consumed by all the things medication schedules this ability that lack of ability like all the things just to keep her functioning through the day was what kept so much of her mental space imagine her not having to think about those things you know, I tell the story. I used to get such bad migraines I couldn't be more than a few feet away from a bottle of Advil. And I can tell you right now, I have no idea where the closest bottle of Advil is, and I don't have to track it because I don't get those migraines anymore. So I get into the granular detail of those questions, and then I keep them in front of me because every recommendation I'm making is to achieve those goals. It's the north stars. What we're really doing this for. And then when it gets hard, which it will we pull out that North star and we remember why we're doing this. And we all need that. It's not like there's some people who are sort of magically gifted to be able to have incredible willpower and they can just do it. You know, it's just the reason why I was so determined is because I had a really big example of what didn't work. And I was also covered head to toe in like really, really itchy skin. Those some two very powerful reasons to like, to line up the money to make it happen. You know, I, I was very, very committed to why I was doing it. And there were times, Years later, when I was a little less connected to that and, and certain things slipped in and, and it, it has progressed from there. But I think anchoring into that bigger picture is essential for success.
1: That North Star concept. And I also just, you know, in full disclaimer, I, I don't really believe there are any accidents in life. I think everything has a tendency to line up for a reason. And obviously there's a reason I think we connected with you through Bo. That very phrase, what's your North Star? We We take clients through... An exercise called the clarity compass. And the clarity compass is where we take a very deep dive into the values, the personal principles that are the most meaningful to the client.
2: What gets them up in the morning? What, what are those three or four things? And in the
1: context of it, literally the exercise, we have a compass. And once we go through 50, 60 different values, and we go through a distillation process to get it down to a handful, they have to put one of them up as their North Star. As that is the overarching principle by which everything else aligns. In our world, that's so that they can make money decisions yeah. that are in alignment with what is, what is the most meaningful aspects of their life right now. Certainly, right. these things can change. So often, Margaret, I mean, I would say easily 80, 90% of the time, one of those four guiding principles is health.
2: Absolutely. To see this alignment between how you talk about health, how we talk about money, and how money could potentially support that number one North Star guiding principle in somebody's life, which is their health, let's assume for a minute that we're working together with a client. Yeah. And Jim and I have done some of this foundational Clarity Compass work. We've identified health as the true north. We've helped them structure all of their financial resources in a way that is now in complete alignment with this clarity compass, with these three or four personal principles and values that mean the most, with health being the one that holds the whole thing up. So there's no more squandering money on meaningless stuff, right? We, we have this belief that this whole nutrition and supporting my health is something I can't afford. Part of the clarity compass work is to be able to clear all that clutter out of the way, show them have, – have, have an awareness created – around where money has been squandered on things that are not in alignment with these core values. So I want, to have, I want to make an assumption that we've done our part of the work, we've cleared the clutter, and now money's not an issue. And one of our clients is now going to come see you, Margaret. So money's not an issue. What does the beginning of that process look like on how they identify the North Star with you and then what are some of the the beginning ways, the steps that that people can get moving in the right direction? I mean, again, we, we want to get this boat in motion. We don't have to get the anchor all the way in the boat. We just got to get it off the bottom an inch. Right. How do you help people do that?
0: Well, the first piece is a really in-depth conversation to understand everything that brought them to where they are. So really a deep dive into their health history. And that goes beyond just like symptoms and physical bits, right? That's that's a really just understanding who they are, their full history, their parents' health, the environment that they grew up in and really help them understand where they are in this moment. A lot of people, and I'm sure your work has to do with this too, where so much of it is about understanding why and how we are where we are and then understanding what we need to do to move forward. Like so many of us get to a place and sort of look at this, whether it's the jumble in our life financially or physically, and it feels like all these like sort of disconnected symptoms and just stuff going on. But when we look at it from the objective perspective of someone standing outside of the situation, who's got expertise in this area, we can pull the threads together, right? Like we can weave the narrative of their story and understand exactly how they got to this moment. And so step one is to understand that piece. And then step two is, you know, once you're really anchored in your history and where you came from understanding what that North star is like, where you want to go. It just comes, you know, that's not something we can give to our clients. It has to come from within them, right? They discover it, but they discover it. And they do. Once you just ask a few questions and I'll be interested to hear if this happens with you as well. But for me, I would say nine and a half times out of 10, when I ask those questions and I dig deeper, most people burst into
2: tears. Yeah, we because keep because
0: they haven't even dared to dream.
2: We have of lots what? of stock in Kleenex tissues. Yes. Yeah, we, yes. we
1: uh, standard issue in every office, every conference room uh, that we're in is Kleenex.
0: Right, and who would think it? Right, we're talking money. I mean, maybe people would think it in other contexts, but I, I just I, I'm always I'm always surprised that I'm surprised. But it's people have not dared to dream yet. And understood where they are and then understood what's possible. And I think another piece that's that's a commonality we share in our role is that if that person in this moment is not yet at a place where they believe that this is possible, we can hold that belief for them until they're there.
1: Yes, right That's like we
3: beautiful. Can
0: shine the light on that North star. Help them to identify it. it's their North star. We're not creating that for them. It's their North Star. But then we can we stand over here with the star. And we're like, okay, now we're gonna start moving towards that. And you used a, a language earlier about alignment, which I think is so critically important because what it is, is it's all about alignment. So now we know where we're headed and we use that as the filter for all decisions, financially, in terms of what we eat and how we behave and just all the decisions are now filtered towards, is this moving me towards this goal or is it moving me away? And that comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation. Is something that I'm putting in my mouth healing me? Is it bringing me towards my North Star or is it taking me away? And there's a cumulative effect in both directions. So you asked about small steps. Every decision we make, every time we pick up our fork, we're making a decision about what we put in our bodies. When we eat, there's something actually very profound happening like the outside world is literally becoming us, right? Like you look at your hand, the skin, the nails, the bones, the the tendons, the muscles, all of that tissue was once food, right? And you hear, oh, you are what you eat. And it sounds trite, but it is actually really profound. Like every single thing in your body, every cell, every function was once food. And so, it's actually a very intimate experience, eating. Like it is the most intimate. That is literally going to become part of you. And it always amazes me that people will put more attention into what kind of gas they put in their car than what we're actually putting in our bodies and is becoming us. So every moment you get to make that choice. Is this going to be something that is moving me towards my North Star? And is this going to be, or is this something that's hurting me? And there's many, many nuances to this. And I know that you could start to to fret over details of should I eat carbs? Should I not eat carbs? Should I just eat fat? Should I, you know, all the nuances of different types of dietary strategies. But I think we all know enough about just the basics to be able to make at least better decisions. And Jim, to your point, there's going to be differences from person to person. So one's food, one person's food, can be another person's poison. So it gets complicated. Other than I will say, gluten.
3: <laughs> we just
0: <laughs> released a video about this today. I really don't think anyone should eat gluten. That's one of the few things I'm just like hard no. But beyond that, you know, I could I could make a case. For and against pretty much every single food out there, even something as innocuous as spinach, I can tell you all the way it's going to hurt you and all the way it's going to heal you. So that stuff gets a little bio-individual, but just taking this moment to make, to bring intention and to bring awareness over the quite profound act that we're doing when we're eating can just that alone can be a really powerful first step.
1: I think that intentionality is in our own alignment here with what you do and what we do is so powerful it can feel daunting right it can it can feel very heavy and and i think one of the reasons there may be kleenex in your office as well as ours is that the emotions that come up are often embarrassment uh shame uh a lot of things that put put people in a very dark negative thought process in and of itself and i I'm, I'm curious you know, we, we talk a lot about course correcting and, you know, falling off the wagon and getting back on, you know, getting back on the self. I'm curious to know the self grace, either with your own journey or with your clients, the, the self grace of being able to accept what has happened in their life that has got them to the point where their backs up against the wall health wise. And then when they fall off, how do you, how do you help them course correct?
0: Such a great question. Well, I'll ask you a question. You mentioned gluten and you said, you know, you really don't like it. Ever since you've learned that or your body doesn't like it, ever since you've learned that, have you ever slept? Yes. Did you feel good? No. Did it tell you more and and educate you more about what's actually happening in your body in a way that you didn't really maybe know on a physical state? Like you might have understood it from what your naturopath told you, but you might not have felt it yet. Like, did that change for you at all?
1: It it did a little. It just... It was more the feeling dumb and shameful for making a dumb choice when I know it doesn't. It's not good for my body, right? And that little negative self talk wheel, that hamster wheel, that can get going on. Oh, there you go again, you dumbass. What are you doing?
2: Well, I think what you've also learned from that though is that there's something very powerful in just getting back up on the horse, right away. Right, right away. I acknowledge that I slipped. And even though I have all these negative feelings about the slip, there's something that completely outweighs that beat yourself up. And this is where the grace of self-care comes in, is that by getting back on track, by getting back on course, I think that's where a little bit more grace comes in on realizing that we're humans and we're all about making progress, not necessarily living to perfection.
0: I also want to say that if you have as a sort of baseline understanding that there is no such thing as failure, only feedback, right? And that's a little bit what that's I was trying awesome. to dig into there is just understanding that every time we slip and every single one of us does, I mean, welcome to being human. That's normally my first thing. If a client is feeling really shamed and really awful and and and, and often sometimes they'll, they'll think I'm going to be upset at them, you know, and, and there's this, you know, and I'm all I have is love and compassion, you know, and I don't want them to ever do anything for me. It's entirely for them, but like ground rule is like, welcome to being human. <laughs> so I'm glad we, I'm glad we cleared that up. Uh, yes. so you are human. So yes. that's excellent. And now like, what did we learn from this experience? You know, it's, there's as all, as long as every time we, we slip, we are, we're taking from that. We're growing from that. I mean, that's just part of the journey is the yeah. growing. You know, I mean, one of the strategies that I have found most successful is to pick a thing and make a single decision about that thing. And this is for the big ones. And, and you can, there's some there's some big food items. And, you know, gluten is a great example of this, that when you make the decision of like, I am never eating gluten again, that is one decision. When you make that one decision, and I will tell you, I mean, I didn't start there. It took me an autoimmune diagnosis of my own for me to say, and we're done. I'm never having gluten again. And I haven't. It was a similar kind of thing a year and a half ago when I realized that even though I was only having like a glass of wine, you know, but probably every night, sometimes too, and realizing that even though it, I didn't like, wake up in weird places and I, I didn't look at it over, overtly as this problem. I realized this isn't, this isn't working for me and this moderation that every single week I think, okay, I'm not going to have a glass of wine until Friday night. And then by Tuesday, it was like, what was that? And I, <laughs> so a hard no was actually a lot easier of this one thing. Cause it pulls out a whole category of stuff. If you say a hard no to gluten, suddenly, if you want a pizza, you can find a gluten-free pizza, but it's not going to be as easy, <laughs> uh, you know, and you're going to have to do some work for that. And you're going to have to think a little bit about it between the time of that craving and actually getting the pizza, right? So that can also be a helpful strategy because a single decision, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the concept of essentialism, George McEwen's book. Um, have you read that book? I have,
1: you have not. One, no. Should
0: read that book. Oh, it's such a good book. But he has this concept of you make one decision. And it has made all future decisions for you. Wow. So when you make that one decision, is if, if you keep it on the table, then every single time you sit down to eat, you're negotiating with yourself. And sometimes you'll be successful. But sometimes, you know, you just don't have enough willpower. This, this isn't this isn't about being a strong person sure. or being a weak person. There's going to come a moment when you just don't. And I was the exact same way. I've known for a very long... I'm a certified gluten practitioner. Like, I know... <laughs> In great detail, all the ways that gluten is gonna hurt me.
2: I'm a certified yeah. gluten consumer.
0: <laughs> there you go. Aren't we all? Soon well, not
2: uh, to be. Very soon not to be.
0: Well, I'll tell you, it took, you know, it took that big moment and that one decision. I was yeah. I would I wasn't eating much, but I was eating it still. And if I looked at it honestly, I was probably eating a heck of a lot more than I thought I was. And it's so there can be these tools that we use that are just like, and I wouldn't say, okay, you know. Let's do kind of like the New Year's resolution style. I'm not going to eat this and this and this and this and this. And I'm going to eat this and this and this and this. this. No, no, no. One thing, do one thing, master that one thing. But there's some foods and, and, you know, sugar would be another one where there's a major lever point. Cause if you just say an alcohol was his way for me, I am not drinking again. Like I'm just, it's a hard, no, then, then I don't have to make the decision at Tuesday five o'clock at night after a really long day. I've made the decision. Now my job is making sure that my environment is set up to support that decision, right? So it, it it's nuanced. And this might sound really hard line, but I will say having, you know, 14 years of working with clients through this stuff, making those hard decisions like that, and then creating an environment around you to support that one decision can be a really powerful tool so that you don't go into the shame cycle because... It's just one thing.
1: Done. You have decided Definitive. that one thing. Boom. Yep.
0: And it's key that you then set up. You can't just do that, not tell anyone. <laughs> Hope no one notices. Like, you know, if I'd done that with alcohol, that would have been really hard. I had to go to my husband and say, like, we need to clear out everything from the house. because Yeah, you got
2: to declare that. You got to let the world know. It. You got to set that intention.
0: Yeah. Hold myself accountable. And then just like, ironically, it has never been easier to not drink since I made that one decision. That's Whereas awesome. before... I was always struggling. Always, always
2: second guessing. Sure, that's awesome. Well, Margaret, you have uh, God. We, we could sit here and talk to you for a day. I mean, this is amazing stuff, and it and it's so helpful to me. I know it's helpful to Jim, our friends within financial sobriety. This is so in line with what we're doing. If Anybody listening in on our conversation today would like to get some more information, spend more time with you, learn more about what we're talking about. What are some of the best ways for people to do that?
0: 100%. Well, everything lives at eatnakedkitchen.com. There's lots of resources there. We have a learn with us category where I have been writing and thinking about these things for many years. And so there's like 450 articles or something like that. Lots of recipes. If you sign up for the opt-in, we will send you our list of what we call our kitchen essentials, which is basically a great, it's what we keep in our kitchen at all times. It's the key foods that we we always have on hand. And then you'll get a full meal plan with recipes for a week based off. Off of that exact kitchen list. So if you're wondering and you're sort of not sure of a good starting point, this is a great basic family-tested way of eating gluten-free, but delicious and not going to spend your entire life in the kitchen. So that, those are great starting points, and there's lots of there's lots of other resources there, but that's a really good place to start.
2: Margaret Floyd Berry, my friend, we are so grateful for you coming in today. EatNakedKitchen.com. That is the place to go. Thank you very much for being here with us. Thanks so much, Margaret.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Take care.
1: I love that interview because so much of it was story-based. And we met Margaret through our buddy, Bo, who is all about story. And what Bo has always said is that when someone is telling you a great story, you're, you're listening, but you're up in your head with your story.
2: Abs- I was up in my head the whole time Margaret was telling her story, especially the way she grew up. and
1: Yeah, the whole, the, that whole story of her family dynamic and particularly her mother's challenge around health, it, it resonated with me, mostly because I was in my head with my story of my family and sleep, mm. sleep, sleep is the 800-pound grill? How'd you sleep? How'd you sleep? I don't know. Well, I didn't sleep very well. How'd you sleep? I mean, it's all, it's the first 17 questions in the morning. I mean, so I was totally listening to Margaret's story and, and thinking of the toll that health can take when really, as she was so beautifully explaining, it's, you know, we literally, we are what we eat. Yeah. And with my own journey here in the last six or eight weeks on nutrition... It is just so
2: shockingly—I mean, it, it sounds like the silliest thing ever, but it's like it just it connects. Well, yeah. I mean, it was very simple but needed to be said that everything we put in our body is either helping us or hurting us. It's either helping us live or helping us die, one, one or the other. And I know for me—and you and I have talked about this—my relationship with food was, was awful. I just I didn't have this relationship with self where I cared. So food for me was just, I wanted soothing. to eat. Oh, it was so soothing. Yes. And I had this, I mean, I've tried every diet under the sun. I've, I've done, you know, I started with Atkins back in the day, lost a lot of weight, put this it all back diet, on. This diet, that diet. Paleo, keto. Seafood diet. Le, low carb, high carb, seafood. If I see it, I eat it. I mean, all, <laughs> every diet under the sun. And I've been what... what uh, what the technical term is, is a yo-yo diet. I see. Right? I've, I've gone from 248 pounds down to 200 pounds, up and down, up and down, that range forever. I've known multiple versions of you. You have. You call me the man with a thousand faces. Well, that was when you were 248 pounds. Right. And I would part my hair one way differently <laughs> each day and come with a little scruff one day, clean shaven the next. But that was all to disguise what was going on with my body. That's, really? That's where it all came from, in case you weren't aware of that. You know, I, I want to hope that you learn something new about me every day.
1: We, this is when we do the ad for hotels.com and Captain
2: Obvious? <laughs> exactly. What really really landed with me today with Margaret. We could have gone on days for days with days. her. There, I mean, we were She'll we were back. just we were just kind of touching the surface, but the biggest takeaway for me was what you and I were talking about before the interview, the idea that Changing my relationship with self can be an overwhelming task when I think about how I feel about myself in this moment and how I want to feel about myself going forward and all the different things that will probably be required of me. And to be able to pick one or two very small things to focus on to make changes and to make those things about saying no, not about saying yes, I'm so grateful to have met Tim Adams— He was a a big part of our life for a number of years. And I was at a point where I was really struggling with my diet, with my food. He was the first person who told me that for now, I don't need to change everything that I eat. I don't need to completely redo the menu. He said, I'm going to ask you, can you do one simple thing for the next 30 days and let's just see what happens as a result of doing this one simple thing? I was willing. I was willing to do almost anything he had asked me to do I just knew if the list was too big, I don't know how long I'd be willing to do that for. So he made it one thing. He said, here's what I'm going to suggest. As you eat whatever it is you're eating, if you're picking up the cheeseburger or the slice of pizza with two hands, take a bite and put it down. If you've got a fork full of food, take a bite, put the fork down. And I want you to count the number of times you chew the food at a minimum 25 times. And that's all I want you to do. Wait, what? That's it? That one thing? So keep eating whatever you were eating. Keep eating whatever I'm eating. By taking Tim's suggestion and chewing my food 25 times and actually counting the number of times I chewed. You saved money on pizza. I saved a lot of money on pizza. Sorry. I saved a lot of money on pizza. (laughs) Because all of a sudden now, after the first slice of pizza, I wasn't hungry anymore. You were getting a little individual pan pizza? I was. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just did that one thing. I didn't change anything about my diet except the way I ate it which was one bite at a time, one mouthful at a time, 25 chews, and it worked. After one month of doing that, I lost eight pounds. I didn't do anything else different but eat less of what I was eating all of the time. And once you're in motion on something like that, right? Oh, then it kept going. Then then, Then it kept going. Yeah,
1: Then you've got some momentum,
2: right? The body in motion stays in motion, that whole concept. Yep. And that's amazing. It was amazing. And that was kind of what I got out of today's episodes is that you know there are four or five different ideas that if I were to just pick one and put all of my energy for the next 30 days into that one new behavior, which is really about saying no to something and having the discipline to stick to that one behavior, after 30 days of doing that, at least your experience and my experience has been very positive results that gets the boat in motion and motivates me to want to add another thing.
1: I also absolutely love the congruency between what she does and what we do in that concept of alignment. Yes. And she talked a lot about the concept of what is your true north? What are you trying to move toward? And our whole Clarity Compass exercise and how we try to help people align their values with their money, she's trying to help you align your food, nutrition, hydration, and rest with your health. What is that driver that you really want to try to move toward? I I just, I love that congruency between what she does and what we do with, in her case, food and us with money. So absolutely look forward to having her back on the show.
2: Tell everybody one more time how they can reach out to Margaret. It is
1: eatnakedkitchen.com, Margaret Floyd Berry. You sign up to be part of her community and she's got a whole host of free giveaways in terms of recipes and all kinds of cool stuff. So check out Margaret's website at eatnakedkitchen.com.
2: And if you do want to connect with us and ask some more questions as it relates to your journey on financial sobriety, send us an email at info at your financial sobriety. And I think, my friend, that's a wrap.
3: needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.